Welcome to The Contemplative Life. Three pastors, friends, and spiritual companions help us explore spirituality through a contemplative lens. I'm Christina Roberts. I'm Chris Roberts. I'm Christina Kaiser. We're glad you joined us. Well, hello. It's great to be with you today. Our co-host, Christina Kaiser, is not with us today because of a family thing that she had. But today, I'm super excited to introduce our guest, Steve Spildy. Steve is on staff with the Franciscan Spirituality Center, and he directs the program that trains other spiritual directors. And I've had the privilege of being one of his trainees for the past two and a half years. So Steve, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, it's good to meet you, Steve. And Today, I'd like to kick off our conversation just with some observations that I've been making about contemplative communities. Uh, it has been my experience that in pretty much every setting I've been in, women always outnumber the men. And I'm sure you both agree with that. However, what strikes me as interesting is that when you look back at the origin of many of these spiritual formation practices, it started with priests or monks centuries ago. So I find myself curious why the shift and what do we think this speaks to the wider culture? So Steve, maybe you can kick us off with some of your thoughts. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's certainly true. I work at the Franciscan Spirituality Center in La Crosse. We host a lot of programs, a lot of workshops. The Spiritual Direction Preparation Program is one of them. The Spiritual Direction Preparation Program, I would say over history, we probably get between 20 and 25% male participants in our groups. And so, yeah, um, females are anywhere from you know 75 to 80%. And that's actually a pretty good turnout for us in terms of, of male participation. A lot of the workshops we offer, the retreats, it's not unusual for it to be 100% female. And if we get one guy out of a group of 12, we're, we're feeling pretty happy about that. So I work on staff, <laughs> the only male member of our staff. We have about 10 people on our team. I'm the only male. Um, it's not usual for me to be in a meeting where I'm the only male participant. Sometimes that gets to be kind of strange. If I'm leading the group and a male leader with all female participants, but that's just the dynamic. So my own sense of what that is about. Two of the teachers who are real influential for me, uh, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest, uh, author, a very prolific author. He talks in some of his books about male spirituality. And then um, Brene Brown has been very influential to me talking about the, uh, the role of vulnerability and shame in our growth as humans. She talks about this some too. And the thing that comes up for both that I hear in both of these authors is that in our culture, vulnerability is hard for everyone and particularly hard for men that a lot of our definition of what it means to be male is to not be vulnerable. And my understanding of spirituality oftentimes is growth in our comfort with being vulnerable. So <laughs> that's a tough sell. I mean, if, if your role, if to be, to be a, uh, to be a solid man is to not be vulnerable and yet to practice spirituality is to enter into vulnerability that kind of like the door is closed to men. Uh, so I don't see that as an issue with spirituality so much as really our definition of what it means to be male in this culture. So therefore, like you're saying at one time when the culture was different, probably it was not so much of a conflict, but as our culture has evolved, yeah, and I think I think it really has issues for 
to be living in this world at this time. It's hard on men and it's, it's I think, particularly hard on women. Yeah, I, it makes me think of um, sort of Carl Jung talked a lot about archetypes and archetypes that are championed in our society is the warrior archetype, you know, the, the, the achieve, the victory. And that seems to be okay for men to do, to go out and, and win battles and be victorious in career. Um, but the archetypes that aren't explored are like the sage archetype or the wise king archetype. And those are the archetypes that I think lend themselves to contemplative spirituality uh, because you have to sit with the decisions that you make more. You have to really look deep within and your decision-making isn't based on, am I going to win or am I going to lose? It's, it's based on what is the good for the whole here? What would it look like to champion that archetype in our society today is a, you know, a question that I've been sitting with. I think Richard Rohr has some, some good content in that regard. He talks a lot about first half of life spirituality and second half of life spirituality. First half of life is really about building the ego, kind of discovering who we are, discovering what we're capable of in terms of the framework you've described, you know, seeing, seeing what we can conquer. And then the second half of life is acknowledging what we can't conquer, which I think, you know, kind of feeds into connecting with our vulnerability. Part of that too is just the life cycle is first half of life. We're growing stronger. We're building our muscles. We're seeing what we can do. We're seeing if we run a business, we're building our business. We're building our family. But then as we get older and start to age, it's, it's about starting now to let go that business, we're going to have to prepare to pass that on to the next generation. As we get older, our friends start to die. Our body starts to die. You know, we start to lose capacity, lose muscle tone. So I think those archetypes you're describing, you know, like the the sage, uh, the wise king, those are kind of more models that fit better with the second half of life. I think our culture really has a hard time with that where we, we don't even see that there's a second half of life. We're in the denial of death, denial of aging denial of vulnerability. I think those two match well. Yeah, I years ago heard a, a Richard Rohr teaching about male and female spirituality in the journey and how, you know, um, typically women have been more in the descent in the first half of life with maybe childbearing, you know, serving the young, involved in the community. And, you know, as they then enter into the second half, and some of those responsibilities are lessened, maybe entering into that space, but how even in modern times that's flipped a little bit now, where I think as a culture in general, we're kind of perpetuating towards that first half of life striving and achievement that you're describing. Um, and it's interesting to me, you know, just kind of reflecting, and again, much of my introduction to some of these spiritual practices have been studying St. Benedict or Ignatian and some of the models from centuries ago. And as I've gotten to know some nuns and sisters in, in recent years, really discovering kind of the fringe work that these women are doing with, I think, maybe taking some of the, in my opinion, I, I'm a female pastor as well as working with spiritual guidance. And in female pastor colleague situations, I'm always the minority. Often I'm the only female in the room when it comes to church leadership. And so it's flipped for me, kind of what you're describing, Steve, of often being the only male in those circles. It's definitely, I'm the only one. And I think my introduction to this idea of deep listening and drawing out the soul. When I was first introduced to some of this training, you know, I remember it was like me in a room of, you know, 30 men. And 
I loved it. I, it was very natural to me. It was organic. And many of my male colleagues struggled because um, they were used to telling people what to do and, and having more of a prescriptive spirituality and leadership as opposed to trusting that the spirit's at work and we're just to come alongside that. And so I wonder, you know, even in your experiences as well, how you see some of the maybe fringe work that nuns and sisters and females are doing in the contemplative work and how that's maybe helping to shape what we're experiencing. Two thoughts come to mind. The spirituality center where I work at is sponsored by the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration in La Crosse. Um, they're a community of members across the country, but La Crosse is home base for them. They have really been shaped by the experience of perpetual adoration. In the Catholic tradition, adoration is to sit in silence before the communion element, actual body and blood of Christ. By sitting in the presence of those elements, there's a, there's a connection to Christ in a very powerful way in that Catholic understanding. Well, these sisters had a dream 140 years ago of doing perpetual adoration. And for 140 years, there was two of them sitting in adoration 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That sitting in adoration in silence with God really formed their identity as a community, as individuals. Uh, it it shaped their spirituality. It was a very intentional way of practicing a contemplative spirituality, which in my understanding basically is a way of praying that's basically based on listening. It's based based in silence, as opposed to prayer style, which is very much about speaking. And so I think, you know, I mean, you can make a case that that speaking is more of an outward thing, which kind of identified with male energy, and that listening and receiving is more identified with, with female energy. I think, yeah, it's not a coincidence that within the realm of the church that was really the domain of the women participants... <laughs> Yes. Contemplative spirituality was really nurtured. That that would be my connection with it. I've been really shaped by that. The sisters have really taught me the the gifts of contemplative spirituality, which is which has been amazing to me because that was foreign territory to me. I mean, I, I didn't know that was an option. The other thing I want to say too is that I think our culture is really kind of missing out on a lot because we do tend to make such a division between what is male and what is female. I don't think that's healthy for either of the sex. I think healthy spirituality oftentimes is about becoming more integrated, more whole, embracing all the sides of life. As a male, I become healthier when I embrace more of my female attributes. As a female, you become more healthy as you also embrace more of the male attributes. I mean, it's not either or. I think health is more about both and. By keeping these lines so sharp, we're really, um, we're really doing ourselves and each other a disservice. Yeah, I appreciate you you naming that. And again, sort of the different male-female energies that we all possess. And, um, you know, the hope is that we continue to ebb and flow in our own lives, but then even also in community as well to have those different uh, energies and voices represented. And, you know, it's interesting to me, the longer I'm in pastoral roles, some of my cohort situations, like I'm, I'm in a, a new one now with a group of local pastors here who gather. And it's, it's very much not that I'm the only female in the room anymore. And the way in which the conversations go and how we females are learning from the males as well, it's just, I'm in my opinion, getting much more healthier in that direction. So I appreciate you naming that. You know, kind of talking about the different ways of praying, you know, the more contemplative silence base and then more the speaking base. 
there's room for both of that. It's not like, you know, once again, both and. So to have dialogue, to have access to both dimensions rather than say one is good, one's not, one's better, one's lesser. It's like, no. And the more we can integrate that, the healthier we all are. And I, I think ultimately it's a gift for men because... <laughs> When to be male is to always be strong, to never be vulnerable, that becomes a prison eventually. There are times when we're hurt. There are times when we're weak. And to be able to name that and then get support for those times, that becomes ultimately a gift. Sure. Yeah. I'm asked by uh, a few friends, what's this training that you're doing? What's this spiritual direction program that you're doing? And, you know, I I talk about it a little bit and, you know, they're, they're curious uh, some of my male friends and they're like, you know, it, the subject comes up and it's like, I look around the room and I, I'm one of four guys <laughs> in this, in this circle. You know, of course they're curious about that. Is it for, is it for men? Is it for women? They ask the question, well, how did you end up? If there's so few men, how are you one of the men that ended up in this program? You know, I think for myself, something that's been a huge part of my journey is we both have adopted children, the Roberts family and the Spildy family. And early on, there was this sense that the father or male figure needed to be heavily involved in our children's life. And so I was a stay-at-home dad. I was taking my children to play dates at the library and all these places. And, and typically, these are places where women take their children. And so I found myself sitting in these spaces with only women, I was confronted with this this thing of, can I be comfortable doing something that is typically viewed as a female thing? And I think that really helped me find my way into sort of contemplative circles and contemplative practices, which I think has been extremely beneficial for my life as as a male. So I I really have appreciated what you've been saying about uh, male energies and female energies and how we become more holistic when we embrace both. And uh, yeah, so thank you for that. We do have that in common. I, I, I forgotten that we had that in common. Yeah, I spent, our, our daughter has some special needs. Uh, it, it made more sense for me to be the one to stay home with her for a while early in her life when she needed a lot of extra support and had, had a lot of therapy. I was the one who stayed home with her. And like you, yeah, I found myself in a lot of circles, you know, play dates, that sort of thing at the park, you know, being the only male there, which... Well, I had to work through a lot, a lot of messages, a lot of internal messages, but also stayed with it long enough to start to recognize the giftedness of that. What I was giving to my daughter, probably more importantly, I was giving to myself because it was a lot of nurturing and support I didn't receive as a child, you know, as a male. And the the messages I got as a male was suck it up. That can work for a while, but it's not very healthy. (laughs) It It comes out in unhealthy ways eventually. I had to learn how to nurture myself if I was going to nurture my daughter. It was through some of the gifts of contemplative spirituality that I learned how to do that. Another thing, though, I've, I've learned, I've stayed with it. I served as a pastor for a long time. I'm finding in terms of, you know, the, the stereotypical role of male leader, using the gifts of a contemplative approach actually is a lot more effective. You know, if I, if I tell you, you know, Chris, you've got this problem, this is what you need to do to fix it. Most of the time, people won't listen to that. They kind of resist that. But if I take the time to listen to you and say, Chris, tell me what's going on. And you tell me what's working and what's not working. When, it, when you finally get around to saying, how can you help me? 
I can just repeat your words back to you and say, well, it sounds like this works. It sounds like this doesn't work. <laughs> Let's do more of what is working and less of what's not working. How does that sound to you? And most of the time people say, wow, you know, taking the time to listen and reflect that back to people becomes a lot more effective way of leading them versus saying, I've got all the answers. Just listen to me. People tend to resist that. So um, <laughs> I'm learning that a contemplative approach, spiritual direction approach actually works better if, if your goal is to help people, to coach people, to uh, try to guide them. I couldn't agree more with you, Steve. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering as we um, kind of wrap up here, what are some of your thoughts as far as what you hope to see like in the next 10, 20, 30 years in the area of spiritual guidance, spiritual formation, uh, specifically in regards to what we've been talking about this morning? That's an, that's an excellent question. I mean, when I started working at the center, I, I had a lot of passion about this. Like, how can we get more men coming to our programs? How can we get more, more guys involved? And we were honored to host uh, Paula D'Arcy as a presenter for an event. And she's done a lot of teaching with uh, Richard Rohr. She's written a lot of books. Just very, very wonderful person. And so she does this a lot. She travels around. She gives workshops. She gives retreats at a lot of different centers. And I was sharing with her that we really struggle to reach men. You know, how can we do that? And she said, well, how many men do you get? I said, well, you know, usually we're lucky to get 10%. And if we really hit out of the park, we might get 30%. She said, wow, that's wonderful. <laughs> That's as well. That's as good as any, any place I've ever seen, and so she kind of let me know that wow, it's it's not it's not unique to us. Well, I said, you know, I said, well, what have you seen works to reach men? And she said, well, to be honest, um, you need to have male presenters. Um, she goes, if I'm on the if I'm on the 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 flyer giving a workshop and it's just me, she goes, it's going to be all women in the audience. If I'm doing a presentation with Richard Rohr, she goes, we might get 30% men. You know, she goes, it really has to be a male as part of the presentation. I guess part of that is to find those male leaders, to bring them forward, to give them permission to start talking about this stuff. And the more there will be male leaders talking about it, I think that will give other men permission to join the conversation. Chris, um, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're part of our cohort. I'm glad you're talking about this stuff. I think that's the way to bring other men along. Yeah, I really want to see this become more accessible to men in our, in our culture. I really am interested in thinking about how do we develop constructs? And I think, you know, you're, you're saying that this presenter said having, having a, a male on the flyer or a, a, a male speaker at programs uh, is sort of one of those tools that you could use to, to draw more male participation. I don't think it's because I feel threatened when I go into a room and they're, they're all women. It's just that I want to see, I want to see more male energy as it relates to ushering forth wisdom into our communities. And I think wisdom comes from learning from your mistakes. And I think contemplation can help by, you know, learning from failures and, and being okay with your failures. I think that's a lot of the contemplative life, right? Our, our failures are not bad things. They're things that 
perpetuate us forward and help us to learn mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and a greater capacity and, and to be more compassionate with ourselves is a lot about contemplative spirituality. Coming into a culture, men can be vulnerable, men can cry, men can do things that are typically feminine in nature, I think is only going to make us a stronger society and a more caring society and a more loving place uh, for our communities. I I agree with that. And I think the bringing the healing, because men in particular have, everyone has pain, but men oftentimes in the stereotypical male framework don't have any um, healthy outlets for that. And the primary outlet is if you're hurting, you, Roar says, you either transmit your pain or you would transfer your pain. And that's kind of the, the model oftentimes is to transmit our pain onto somebody else. If I'm hurting, I go beat up on somebody else, either verbally or physically to make myself feel better. Ultimately, that isn't very helpful for me and it's certainly not helpful for the person on the receiving end. Whereas if we can have these gifts of listening to each other, letting our pain out in healthy ways that will actually make ourselves feel better, that doesn't make someone else feel worse, it brings healing. So I, I think it's, <laughs> it's real important that we figure this out. I certainly hear what you're saying, Steve, about the need for diverse voices. And that's something definitely in my circles that we're working towards, whether it relates to gender diversity, ethnic, socioeconomic. So I think that's super important. Yet I'm struck by both your story and Chris's and how it seems as though your way into contemplative practices came through a different measure. It came through being in circles around other moms. It came through serving your children. It came through maybe the back door as opposed to a flyer. And my guess is that it wasn't because there was a man on a flyer that drew you to dive in deeper to contemplative practices, but maybe a recognition of what's going on in your own lives. And, you know, I think that that's something that I would hope for is that as we are maybe more open in conversation around some of the things you mentioned earlier, like the Brene Brown material on vulnerability and really helping people to see the value of that or, You know, I think in the corporate world, we're seeing more and more training around emotional intelligence and maybe normalizing some of these things that we're identifying as typically female energy or male energy and sort of widening that spectrum that it all is part of us and being able to be comfortable with all of those spaces. And so I think that personally is a hope that I have that we can continue having these examples and models and conversations and Yes, maybe sometimes through the front door, quote unquote, with the speaker and the presenter, but I think also just through regular everyday life and our sharings. This is the part of our podcast where we like to share what we are into this week, and we asked Steve if he wanted to be part of that. So uh, maybe we'll start with Chris. Chris, what are you into this week? Well, I've really been into cowbell. Uh, <laughs> For some reason, uh, we were we were watching YouTube and an old uh, Saturday Night Live skit came on. It's it's the one about more cowbell. And uh, my daughter was watching with me and she's like, what is this? And I said, well, this is a famous band, the Blue Oyster Cult. And uh, she thought Will Ferrell was hilarious, just beating away on that cowbell. And so we've been listening to songs and we've been listening for cowbell. And this morning, the Blue Oyster Cult came on that actually the song came on the radio. She's like, does this song even really have the cowbell? The cowbell? And we were listening. And she goes, there it is. It's, it's right there. And so we've been really uh, 
in tune to, to music, whether it has cowbell or not. So I've, I've really been into cowbell. All time, all time best skit on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> okay, for me, my wife has had the second vaccination. I've had the first and looking forward to in a couple of weeks getting the second vaccination. So we're looking forward to getting out and about, you know, um, no, that's still not going to be over, but yet, you know, maybe feel safe to go to a restaurant and have a dinner, go out to a movie. Um, we're our thing we're into is getting out of the house again. Yes. Yes. Very good. Thing yes. to do. <laughs> And um, I am into a YouTube video. It's I think it's called um, How the Wolves Saved Yellowstone National Park. And it's probably like a, about an eight minute video clip showing how wolves were, uh, how they were removed and how the park was. And then when they brought wolves back in, the entire ecosystem just changed, including the rivers. I and mean, it was just this amazing, stunning video. So I watched it, I made my kids watch it. And I've just really been sitting with um, sort of the connectedness of all of the ecosystem and wolves typically not being an animal that you would <laughs> celebrate as healers of the land. And, and just, again, even that male-female energy of um, something about the wolves being able to bring that healing has just been striking and beautiful. So that's what I've been into this week. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. If you are looking for more resources, we invite you to check out the contemplativelife.net. Until next time, make it a great week. Thanks. Mm -hmm.